doing something new in our life. Maybe it's a new assignment. Speaking of, you know, like a spiritual assignment, like maybe a prayer assignment, a new ministry, a new relationship. Some of us have been in a rut for a while. It's, it's new opportunities. Think in different ways. Behold, I do a new thing. Will you not perceive it? As if to imply, if you get your head down too far, new things present themselves and you miss it. What's the difference between an old person of heart and a young person at heart? It's the ability to desire and embrace new things. If you're an older saint, but you're still, God's still showing you stuff and you're still writing stuff in the corners of your Bible and you're still in prayer meetings and you're still prophesying and you're 90 years old and you're still prophesying. Hey, you're, you're a new wine guy. You may, you may be wrinkled up mess, but you're young at heart. Amen, y'all know that saints of God that have been in church their whole life, they got the old ones that are stuck, judgmental. We need to do, we didn't do it that way before. And then there's the, the new wine old ladies that are just like, you know, they're the ones that are, you know, the, that are praying the, the wallpaper off the walls, doing a new thing. I want to brag for just a minute on you as a praying church, if I might, in, this, in the regards of a new thing. When I had the diagnosis that I was going to need uh, chemotherapy, the, the, the cancer that I fight had metastasized to my right lung. So they, they jumped from my therapy I was on to uh, chemo, and it's a really good therapy, and I got great doctors, and I, I'm, I'm super cool with it. I am living my best life. I'm not going to share, reshare what I shared on Sunday night two weeks ago. But I'm just going to brag. We're in about the third week now where Pastor Kevin and others, Melvin, I know you're part of this, have organized for me 15 prayer, week, prayer meetings a month, a week. Let me say that better. 15 prayer meetings a week are praying for me and my health. And some of the groups are pretty big. Some have two, three, four, or more than two. Some have three, four, five, but some have as much as ten. And, and, and it's so humbling. It's just so humbling because God's not a respecter of persons. We're, we're, all of us are getting healed together. If you're fighting cancer, I'll hold on to you, you hold on to me, and together we'll hold on to Jesus, and we'll both get healed. And we'll both testify... And it's not about me, it's about all of us. 15 prayer meetings. Listen, I've been in churches all around the world, big churches. I've spoken at many churches as well. Nobody has 15 prayer meetings for their pastor. Nobody. 15? Are you kidding me? And it's like, maybe, maybe I'm falling into sin and you're all praying for me to leave the church. That'd be a whole different scenario. I'm talking about praying for my family, praying for me. 
lifting up my name to the Lord. It was four years ago I, I, I could no longer pray for myself. That ship had sailed. I had no energy to shandai. I'd shandied 40 years. You know what I mean by shandai, right? I'm going to come against the devil. And um, it was then I said, thank you, Jesus. I'm part of a church. The church prays for me. I pray for them. Someday it's your turn to be on the wall. It'll be a season when it'll be your turn to be in the bed. But together, we always have somebody awakening the dawn and intercession. The secret of New Life Church is not that we're multi-ethnic. It's not that we, we, we try to thread the needle on politics. The secret to New Life is that we pray together. We stay together because we pray together. Different ethnicities, different genders, different generations. And thank you. If you're a part of those 15, you know, uh, I see the D'Amelios there. Um, Maureen is one of my wife's dearest friends. You guys have prayed with us for 10 years. How many times do we cry in your living room? You recorded it and put it online. I didn't appreciate that, but <laughs> to have a safe place and uh, enough said on that. New season for you, a new assignment, a new anointing, new mercies. It's a new beginning if you need to hear that today. God's for you. Not against you. Today's sermon title in the series, the last message in the series, is Pondering the Greatness of the Age to Come. There's a new age that's coming for all born-again believers. I want to talk to you about that age. The prophet Isaiah says, I'm going to do a new thing. Jesus says in Revelation, I'm going to make all things new. We go from an a new thing to an all things new. What does that look like? Paul said, I has not seen nor ear heard nor has it entered into your mind or your heart what I have got prepared for you. The apostle Paul, taken out of his body, goes to the third heaven. He says, what I saw in the third heaven, he doesn't even get into the highest heaven. He's just in the third room out. He says, I saw stuff in that room. There's no words to describe. I can't even tell you how good that's going to be. The apostle Paul said, I've got a choice here, to stay and help you folks or to go to heaven. He says, it's far better for me to be away from the body and to be present with the Lord. We don't talk about heaven enough. Somehow you're not a social justice warrior if you talk about heaven. Well, the, no good social justice person, biblical justice person, is worth their salt if they don't have heaven in view. Heaven doesn't demotivize you. Heaven motivates you. You see an ideal yet to come. What does it mean, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, if you don't believe in heaven? Used to be a hundred years ago, you asked somebody, if you would die tonight, do you go to heaven? Was a very significant question. 
Today, nobody cares. It's about all self-actualization in the present. I want it all now. I want all happiness now. I want all healing now. I want no deprivation in any area of my life. Well, friends, life can be doggone tough. There's some curveballs coming your way, maybe. Oh, you need an anchor in heaven. You need an anchor behind the veil. You need to know no bad, no matter how bad this gets, there's something good coming. How do generations of incarcerated people or slaves, how do they ever live day to day? Because they have an eye. There's a heaven coming. She said, I've gone to prepare a place for you. And when I come back to get you, you're going to be with me forever. Only the cold, hard-hearted say so. What's the big deal about heaven? Well, the Bible says a whole lot about heaven. We're going to look at one chapter of the Bible that talks about it. Richard Baxter, the famous English Puritan of the 1600s, the most famous English theologian of his day, named Richard Baxter. He was sickly. At age 35, he was what he thought was his deathbed. Now, he recovered and lived 40 more years. But he thinks he's dying. And to cope with the idea of dying, he began to meditate on the joys of heaven. And he went through the Bible, he took all the verses about heaven, and he thought about them. And soon he began to write some of his own thoughts that these verses elicited in him, so his own thinking. And in time, his writings about heaven got put into a book. And the book is entitled, The Saints' Everlasting Rest. And it is as famous a book in church history as Pilgrim's Progress. You don't maybe hear as much about it, but it was a bestseller in his day. I have the book. It's about 600 pages. <laughs> There's 600 pages about heaven. Everything you could think about heaven is in that book. After he came off his, thought it was his deathbed, he meditated on heaven a half an hour a day for the rest of his life. Half an hour a day. Do we think about heaven half an hour a year? Heaven. I've had doctor's reports that were kind of stinkers. I've been sick. Like many of you, I've been sick. You get sick enough, you kind of, you, you, you're, you begin to get weird, you're thinking. And uh, this is several, this is probably two years ago. I started thinking about heaven. I'm thinking, well, what if I don't make it? Now, if I don't make it, I know one thing that's going to happen. My wife's going to shoot me. Because she's demanding that I live and not die. So if I would pass early, she's going to take a gun and just riddle me right there. That can't be murder because I'm already dead. She's just going to say, I told you, don't you leave me here alone. I began to think about heaven. And you think about heaven long enough. Trust me in this. I, I'm a practitioner. There will be a trip in your thinking. And you realize this is a stupid statement. 
too heavenly minded for earthly good. That's a ridiculous statement. You can never be too earthly, excuse me, you can never be too heavenly minded. The Apostle Paul says in Colossians, set your mind on things above, and then he wants to drive it home, and not on things down here. And when you set your mind on things above, it's like you got a parachute on, and you could jump out of a plane trying to save other people that are falling to their death. Because you ain't got to worry if you're going to die. My, my future is secure. You reject me? Cool, I'm going to heaven. You don't like me? Fine, I'm going to heaven. You want to hurt me? So what? I'm going to heaven. You want to persecute me? Give me your best shot. Boy, I wish I had that song queued up right there. Boom, give me your best shot. I'm going to heaven. Does it make a difference? Petuata and Felicia were two early martyrs. She was of a wealthy class, and Felicia was her maid. She actually was her slave. And the Romans tried to talk her out of her faith and have her recant because she was young, pregnant, and of a, of a wealthy class of Romans. She would not recant her faith. They put her in a, what do you call it, where the gladiators go? An arena, what that would be, arena. And uh, they released some animals and uh, they huddled together and uh, they died. But as they were going in there, history tells us they were singing a song. What, were they, what do you suppose they were singing? I don't think they were singing, I went to the enemy's camp and I took back what he stole from me. I don't think they're talking about that kind of, that kind of triumphalism that, that kind of centers on your own you know, victorious living. I think they were talking about a savior. I think they're talking about a heaven. I think they would have sang Great is Thy Faithfulness if they had the hymn written by them. And they knew it was going to be painful, but it was going to be short, and there was heaven awaiting them. When Stephen was stoned, before he died, the Bible says, he said, don't, don't hold this against them, Lord. The Bible says he lifted up his eyes and he said, he saw Jesus standing in heaven. I thought Jesus sitting on a throne. Why is he standing? He stood to welcome him in. Stephen, you made it. The joy of heaven awaits you. I want Jesus to stand up when I die and say, Dan, you didn't give up the faith. You didn't sell your inheritance for a bowl of porridge. You didn't compromise your integrity to be popular on Facebook. You stood for righteousness, but you were, you were kind in doing so. When Charles Spurgeon was depressed, and he was depressed often, he would say to his wife, get me some Baxter. And she would go and get Richard Baxter's book on heaven. And he said, every time when he'd read that book about heaven, that the depression would lose its strength. Hey, we all need some Baxter today. Revelation 21 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. 
prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. What a powerful image. You and I are a bride prepared, adorned for an eternal union with the Lord. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, quote, the dwelling place of God is now with man. Now that's, that's short for mankind, which could be thought of as humankind, men and women together. It's not the masculine meaning just men. It means mankind, means all people that are saved. Now the dwelling place of God is with mankind. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Let me pause. I've had enough death this year. I've had a lot, a lot of, a lot of great men and women of God. You know, Lauren Cunningham just died two days ago or something, right? Was it? Was it yesterday? Lauren Cunningham. He was at our missions convention about twelve years ago as a speaker. He started YWAM. He died. Pat Robertson died. His wife died. Just. He says. When this is over, there's no more death. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Verse 5, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. What a fitting verse for this to conclude this series. Behold, it's over. The earth is over. The age of moral choice is now over. No more wars. No more violence. No more pain. It's over. The trumpet has sounded. It's over. The eternal clock has stopped. We are now in eternity. There's no running to the cross now. It is over. The prophets are rejoicing. It is over. There's Isaiah. There's Jeremiah. There is Hosea. And they're saying, finally, Lord, you've come. The apostles are all there. They're on their thrones. They're saying, it's over. And the Lord stands and says, behold, I say, it's a new day. Behold, I am making everything new. Also, he said, write it down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. It's over. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give them the spring of the water of life without payment. And the one who conquers will have his heritage. And I will be his God. And he will be my son. Verse 8. Ends with a warning, this paragraph. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars, now he's speaking of the unrepentant here. A person could be sexually immoral, but repent of their sexual immorality and would not be in this class. They will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. That may be a metaphor of torment. It may be literal. I don't care which it is. Which is the second death? 
it does say the sexually immoral are, are in trouble. Is there any sexual immorality out there today? Good grief. The prophet said there'll be a day when evil is called good and good is called evil. If you're a monogamous, heterosexual man who's married and has some kids and you're, or a woman and you're trying to live, a, you're, you're, like the, you're like the dork. How many dorks do you have here besides me? I like being a dork. Hey, vanilla is my favorite ice cream. I don't need to spice it up with something illicit. I like what I got. And so does Rhonda. Would you like to testify, dear? Would you like to testify about anything? No? What are you saying? You are a big... Oh, dear, not in church. All right, let's go. It's the chemo, people. It's the chemo. I'm not accountable. Not accountable. It's fried part of my sense of uh, public decorum. Four things our text tells us that will be new. Number one, you're going to be spiritually new. I'm not talking about being born again. But verse 2 says that we're going to come down in heaven, at the, the, you and I. He, he saw this picture of a bride adorned for her husband. We're like a bride adorned for her husband. How can a bride be adorned for her husband? She purifies. She's purified for her husband. She's prepared for his husband. What's going to happen to you and I, we are going to be made morally, spiritually, emotionally pure upon our death so that we become the perfectly adorned eternal companion and mate of the Son of God. It says in Revelation chapter 21, then this, the angels are saying, come and I'll show you the bride. That's us, the wife. They use the word wife, the wife of the lamb. The lamb's a metaphor for Jesus. And in the spirit, it carried me away to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. It's radiance like a rare jewel as crystal. What happens upon your death, you enter into the glory of God that's this blinding, penetrating, sanctifying, holy-making glory, and it prepares us to be a bride. What happens, all the shame that's in us, all the misgivings of our life within us, every mistake, all the besetting sin, that some of that stuff in our character we could never kick to the curb, all of that gets zapped. So we look like a transparent, translucent gem that you can look right through. It's completely perfect with no imperfection. You might say, well, Dan, I'm not that person today. No, you're not, but you will be one day. When you get into the glory of God, his glory is going to do a work on you. When you're baptized in the Holy Spirit and fire, it's promising there's going to be a day. When he's going to completely, totally sanctify you so that you are like a crystal. Look at me any way you want. You will see nothing in me but light. You're a rare jewel. You're going to be physically new. Verse 4 says, he'll wipe away every tear. No more crying, no more pain. We must have somebody if there's no more pain. Body says our final estate is not a dismembered or disembodied spirit, but we're given a new body. 
but it's a glorified body according to Philippians. It's of the same nature as Jesus' glorified body. So it is a human body, but it's not a natural human body. It's a spiritual human body, perfectly suited for the place and, and responsibility God gives us. A new body without any pain. Now, when you're 25, having a body without any pain doesn't really push your butt. You know, when you get older, pain is kind of a pain. I mean, I've had a crink in my neck for like a year. Any chiropractors here? Anybody a chiropractor that does pro bono work? <laughs> to a guy on chemo? Anybody? We don't have one chiropractor. What the heck is that all about? A massage therapist. Is there a massage therapist here? <laughs> is there anybody that gives back rubs? Anybody? <laughs> Thank you, sir. He's just putting me out of my misery. Like, I'm going to stop this line of joking. <laughs> oh, we get a new body. A lot of people got cheated with their bodies. I mean, sorry, dude, but yikes. <laughs> you know, handicaps, children that have suffered, people that have had arthritis, people that have all kinds of maladies and, and, and things. There's a lot of, we live in a fallen world. There's a lot of stuff out there that mess up people's bodies. They can be beautiful on the inside. And sometimes, you know, you, you, you say two things to them. Get to a prayer line and we're going to pray for healing. But you can also say to them, there's a heaven coming. And in that heaven, you're going to get a new body. There'll be a new body birthed in righteousness. And there'll be no defect in it. There shall be no pain, no death, no mourning. You'll have nothing to cry about. There'll be a perfected body. I, I want one of those. I mean, I, I, like, I like my body. He likes my body. <laughs> Hey, I cannot lie. I got a double portion. What can I say? <laughs> Number three, there's a new heaven and a new earth. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth, the first earth passed away, and the sea was no more. God's renovating the whole earth, which now moans for the manifestation of the sons of God. There'll be no more dying even in the creation. No more entropy in the creation. God's going to renovate it. He's going to make it like Eden again. The lamb will lay down with the lion. There'll be perfect harmony on this in this new world. We won't sweat, we won't thirst. Well, just in the cool of the day, be with our God. I kind of would like that, do you? Second Peter chapter 3, verse 13 says, The Lord's going to keep a promise looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. This new heaven and new earth, righteousness dwells there. I believe in biblical justice, but in a fallen world, there's going to be lots of stuff that you can't untangle. There'll be cruel things done to innocent people till the day we die. We're dedicated to relieving suffering. But it does give me hope knowing that there is going to be a day when the Lord sets everything new 
and the Bible says it will be a planet and a universe where righteousness dwells, not unrighteousness. It will be perfectly fair, and the innocent will no longer be tormented. Number four, and the final extrapolation from our text is there's actually, it's hinted here, there's actually a, a different kind of relationship with God. Now, if you're saved today, it's the spirit of Christ is in your heart. And Jesus said upon his departure, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So he's with us and in us. And yet there's a dimension of our relationship with him that you and I cannot engage until we're in heaven. So I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place is now with men. He will dwell with them and they shall be his people. And God himself, God himself, the Father himself will be with them. And the Bible has said, no man has ever seen God and lived. And yet the, the Lord is saying here, there will be a day when not only will you're going to live, you're going to dwell with him. Amen. Revelation 22 and 4 says, and they shall see his face. So we go from, I cannot see his face and live, to receiving a glorified body with a new spiritual relationship with Jesus where I can see God's face without mediation. I don't need an angel. I don't need a fog machine. I don't need to cover my eyes. I can see him as he is. I tell you what, when you and I go to heaven, I think the first thing we're going to do, we die, we're... We're in his presence, and we'll do, never die again. And we're in his glory. We're going to go, wow, wow. And then I think what comes next is, I don't deserve this. Thank you, Jesus, for making this possible. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for my sins. Thank you that you're my Savior. Thank you that you're my righteousness. Thank you to the door that no man can close. It's not going to be the strut of, of the self-righteous. Well, it's about time. Is this all you got? No, it's going to be humble people. Can you imagine a, a verse that says, it's never entered into your thought what he has prepared for us? I got a pretty vivid imagination, folks, as you can imagine. I'm, I'm a little OCDC or what do you call it? What do you call it when you're jumping around? What is it when you jump around and you're thinking? ADHD? OCDC, it's close. It's, still, it's four letters. It's an acronym. It's close enough for government work. I got a vivid imagination. Why sell that? Why sell your future for what this earth can give you? Listen to me. Is an orgasm worth selling eternity? Is being liked by some clown at work worth eternity? I don't care how much drugs you take, how much sex you have, how much money you have. Man, that high ain't nothing like the high we're going to get. That's the truth. 
Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled down here. It's a dogfight down here on the earth. There's going to be tribulation, dude. But be of good cheer. I've gone away, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when this whole thing is over, I'm coming to get you by name. That where I am, you shall always be. I say, Lord, that's enough for me. I don't need streets of gold now. I'm playing the long game. So bring this to a close today. I had a friend in high school named Steve Satterfield. I had the chance to lead him to the Lord when I got saved. Lost track of him for about 10 years. Can I have a Kleenex? Can you, somebody got a Kleenex? And so I lost track of him. He got married three times. His third wife was a Christian. I didn't know her. She called me one day and said, you don't know me, Dan, but I'm Steve Satterfield's wife. And he's having a hard time. Could you reconnect with him? He told me about his salvation experience when he was a younger man. I said, absolutely. So I got a hold of Steve. He was surprised to hear from me. We only lived 50 miles apart at this time. And we reunited. Actually, his wife and him and my wife and I, we met. It was nice. Two weeks later, she dies in a car accident. She had postpartum depression and ran a red light. Devastated everybody. They had three kids, or two kids. So the next day after he dies, I go to Steve's house to comfort him. And uh, a lot of people in the house, and I said, Steve, would you like to go for a walk? And we, so we walked about four or five blocks, and for the first two or three blocks, I didn't say nothing. You know, you just, just be present. You don't have to be witty. Just be present. So we talked, we walked, didn't say nothing. I don't know what happened, what I th- why I thought this, but after about halfway through our walk, I said, Steve, uh, let, let me tell you about heaven. I said, your wife is a real, was a real Christian. And you know, Steve, that she's at a place right now where there's no crying. There's no part, postpartum depression. Do you know that the Bible says all of her dreams and hopes that she didn't get in this life, that God's giving them to her now? Do you know that she has such a joy right now, they, they call it full of glory? Do you know that she has a peace now that every fear she ever had is forever gone? So I describe heaven for two blocks. I don't know if anything's getting through to him or not. So he come back to the house and he said to me, he stopped me. He said, Dan, I'm jealous of my wife. I'm jealous. Do you describe heaven to people that makes them jealous that they're not there? When a 35-year-old Christian woman or man dies, do you say, oh, they had so much life left in them? Or could we say, they just took an earlier flight to glory? There's no loss here if you know the Lord. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, today, if there's anybody in this room that doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, I pray that heaven would be so enticing, so wonderful, that today they would give you 
their life. With every head bowed while you're seated and you're praying with me, church, quietly. If today be a day you would like to give your life to Jesus fully, secure eternity. So if you would die tonight, you'd be ushered into the presence of a Savior for all time. Just put your hands up with mine. Father, wherever there's a hand up this morning, sir, I see your hands. Keep them up till we make eye contact. I see that hand back there. I see a hand back there. I see the hand way back there, sir. Thank you. Would you stand your feet, Deep Creek?